Turning your Bibles this morning to Matthew 25, verse 1, as I move quickly this morning. Matthew 25, verse 1, if you'd like to follow along in the sermon study guide with me and take notes, and my outline becomes your outline this morning, plus I've given you a lot of proof texts uh, this morning within that study guide. Uh, a recently married young man had left the honeymoon hotel and was walking along the beach. He left his wife, his new bride, pouting in the honeymoon hotel. And as he walked the beach, wondering what to say to her, what, how to treat her, he stubbed his toe on a bottle, took the cork out of the bottle, and poof! Out comes a genie. And the genie said, I'm here to grant you your fondest wish. The young man thought, well, I've never been to Hawaii. Air flight, airplane travel, I, I, I'm afraid of it. Going by boat makes me sick. Genie, sir, would you construct for me a highway to Hawaii? The genie looked at him and said, the logistics, the, the, the steel, the pilings, the depth of the ocean. You're talking about a sheer impossibility. Give me another wish that I can grant. The young man said, then tell me how to understand my wife. Give me the ability to discern women. Uh, how, how to fulfill my wife. How to, to make her happy. How to get her out of her doldrums, her, her, her mood swings. Uh, tell me, tell me how to understand women. The genie said, do you want that highway to be two lanes or four lanes? We have been in a series an end-of-the-year series, discovering the most prevalent, the most pervasive picture that is used in the Bible to describe our relationship with our Lord. The metaphor, the analogy that is used more frequently than any other analogy or metaphor in the Bible to describe how our Lord wants to describe our relationship with Him is not one of king and subject, not one of judge and defendant, not one definitely of master and slave, or even of father and child. The most pervasive picture that we have been given, both Old Testament and New Testament, of our relationship to the Lord is one of bride and bridegroom. The Lord chose the most loving, committed, intimate, passionate relationship in the natural to describe how His love is for us and how our love should be for Him. In this series, we've been discovering the powerful parallels throughout the Word of God that exists between the ancient wedding of the Jews and their customs to the salvation parallel that we find here within the Bible. This parallel is so vivid that Jesus used a parable 
to frame this entire image of bride and bridegroom for both you and I. It's the next stage within our series this morning, Lover. I take you to Matthew chapter 25 verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. This parable not only powerfully reveals how to enjoy your best life now, but how to experience the most wonderful moment of all time and eternity. As we give you a word this morning that I have simply entitled, not here comes the bride, but here comes the bridegroom. Here comes the bridegroom. Let's look at the powerful parallel to fully understand Jesus' parable of the ten bridesmaids. Realize that the ancient Jewish wedding consisted of three stages. We've been looking at those three stages. First of all, the arrangement stage, the betrothal stage, and the consummation stage. If you recall, the arrangement stage is when the couple were children and the parents arranged the marriage of their children even before they were of marrying age. Secondly, the betrothal stage. Much more legal, much more serious than our engagement stage that we experience. At the betrothal stage, the bridegroom would leave his father's house. He would pay the dowry price for his bride to the bride's father. The bride would purify herself to become a bride without spot or wrinkle in the Jewish ritual called the mikvah. Then the couple would each drink from a common cup from the fruit of the vine. This would be the covenant cup. Symbolize their covenant relationship. This would symbolize that they were now legally married. But the stage would stop at that point. The couple would be separated for 12 months. And the bridegroom would return to his father's house. But just before he would leave his bride... He would whisper in her ear, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will return again unto you. He could only return for his bride when his father gave him permission. When his father felt that all the preparations, all the work was completed. When the bridegroom would be asked by his buddies, Well, when are you going to return for your bride? His response would normally be, no man knows except my father. It's at the consummation stage, the third stage, for you to understand Matthew 25, for you to understand the parable of the ten bridesmaids. You need to understand the third stage, the consummation stage of the ancient Jewish wedding customs. Usually at a nighttime hour, the bridegroom's father would release his son to return 
and to bring his bride home. The bridegroom would be escorted by his groomsmen. They would hold high torches. It would be a joyous, loud procession as it drew nearer and nearer to the home of the bride. The bride and her bridesmaids, they would be expecting the coming of the bridegroom. Expecting, but not knowing the exact moment of his return. While watching for the bridegroom, the bride and her bridesmaids would have oil, ample oil, for their lamps that they would have in their windows. Remember, there's no street lights. And they would use the oil lamps to go out to meet the bridegroom and his groomsmen. Suddenly, suddenly piercing the nighttime darkness, there would come a midnight cry. Here comes the bridegroom. The groom would then lovingly embrace his bride and take her away along with her bridesmaids to his father's house. There, the bridegroom would enter the bridal honeymoon chamber with his bride. The marriage would be consummated and then they would open up the door and come out to a wedding reception, a marriage supper, a wedding feast that lasted seven days. Dad, how would you like to pay for that one? Seven day long wedding feast. Write it down with me. The ancient Jewish weddings, three stages, are a powerful parallel of our salvation relationship with our Lord. Think of it, God the Father has arranged a marriage for His Son with His church, His bride. For God so loved the world that He, what? Gave His only begotten Son. And at the appointed time, God's Son left the glory of heaven to be laid as a baby in a Bethlehem manger. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But why did He come? Why did God's Son come at that first Christmas? His purpose and mission was to gain a bride. He came to gain a bride. You and I. And then at the cross of Calvary, Jesus uh, paid the dowry price. For his bride, the church, what was the dowry price that Jesus paid at the cross of Calvary? It was not silver. It was not gold. It wasn't your visa or your MasterCard. He paid the dowry with his own precious blood. And every drop cried out, I love you. Like the mikvah, we as his bride have joined Jesus in the wedding ceremony of water baptism. Like the betrothal cup of communion, we drink and participate and partake of Holy Communion because each time we partake of Holy Communion, we are remembering that we're joined to no other but our Bridegroom, Jesus, the lover of our souls. We remember the price that He paid for us at the cross and we remember 
He has promised to return for you and I. Remember what our lover said (laughs) just before he left us? Do you remember what our bridegroom said just before the cross? In John 14, 1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Like the ancient brides, we expect our bridegroom's coming, but we don't know the exact moment of his coming. Jesus reiterated this in Mark 13. Jesus said of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. When is that time coming? How close are we to our bridegroom's call? How near are we to the soon return of Jesus Christ? I want to give you ten prophetic signs real quickly that shows the kind of generation, the times that you are living in. Every one of these are major, major prophetic signs. There's hundreds of prophecies in the Bible. 27% of your Bible is prophetic. Two-thirds of all the prophecies in the Bible speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ. I want to give you ten major prophetic signs that are being fulfilled or have already been fulfilled in our generation. I'm going to move quickly. That's why I've given you scripture references to back up every one of these signs. Number one, we are the generation experiencing unprecedented lawlessness, nightmarish crimes of violence, terrorism, and mass murder. Two, we are the generation witnessing the resurrection of Sodom and Gomorrah's perversion. In our times, we're witnessing a moral meltdown on a scale thought impossible a lifetime ago. Number three, we are the generation which has experienced history's worst famines. Number four, we are the generation witnessing new antibiotic-resistant infections, the first international outbreak of Ebola, and the first 100% fatal disease, AIDS. Uh, Number five, we are the generation experiencing an exponential rise of killer earthquakes. Number six, we are the first generation which could rightly be called the Armageddon generation. The first generation with the technological feasibility to annihilate ourselves. Number seven, we are the first generation with the technical ability to host a one world cashless economic system digitizing every world citizen or as the Bible prophesied 2,000 years ago assign a number the mark of the beast 666 number 8 we are the generation which has witnessed the rebirth of Israel on May the 15th 1948 after nearly 3,000 
thousand years. It's the first time it's been witnessed in that amount of time. Number eight. Uh, number eight. We are the generation. We are the generation which has witnessed, number nine, the recapture of Jerusalem on June the 7th, 1967, under the sovereignty of a united Israel. Listen, this hasn't been seen since the days of King Solomon. King Solomon, number 10. How close are we? How close are we? Number nine, I should have given you the verse, Jerusalem, Jesus said, will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Listen, we're on borrowed time. Since June uh, the 7th, 1967, the times of the Gentiles have been fulfilled. Yes. Number ten, we are the generation experiencing church history's greatest revival and evangelism in the last 100 years the gospel has been proclaimed to more nations more people groups more souls than at any time since jesus christ in all church history the bible has now been translated into 3850 some languages dialects missiologists tell us that on average over 85 thousand people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ on every single day. More souls coming into the kingdom than any time in church history. Hear me in this. A little bit more than a hundred years ago, on January the 1st, 1901, in Topeka, Kansas, there was the first documented case of anyone being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. Just a more than a hundred years later, there are now more than 600 million Spirit-filled believers around the world. We are witnessing the greatest revival, the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit in all of church history. We are the generation the prophets were speaking of. In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Ten signs, ten signs, ten signs, ten signs. What does it all add up to? What does it all add up to? Not despair, not hopelessness, but life's greatest hope, the eastern skies. Think of it in a moment in time. I don't know if it's going to be in the morning. I don't know if it's going to be at noon. I don't know if it's going to be in the evening. All I know, it's going to be soon that the eastern skies will unzip. Hallelujah. And the Lord Himself, the Bible says, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the ark angel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we always be with the lover of our soul therefore comfort one another with these words hallelujah what a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see I want to give you three rapture truths this morning. The rapture will be a transforming event. I want you to circle those two words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Circle those two words, caught up. 
caught up. It's right there in your notes. The word rapture is a Latin word, raptura, that is based upon those two words. For you of Jurassic Park, you that are Jurassic World fans, you know the most evil creature among the dinosaurs in those movies is what? The raptor, which means to snatch. And that's what our bridegroom is going to do in an X-rated society that we're having to raise our children and our grandchildren in, He's going to reach down, hallelujah, and snatch us. Uh We're going to be caught up with Him in the air. At the moment of the rapture, the Spirit, the spirits of dead Christians that are already in heaven, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, will be united with a resurrection body at the same moment practically following after that we who are alive and remaining we will hallelujah be translated from these weak sick aging dying bodies into superhuman bodies we will not be some ghost like figure floating around in heaven for all eternity. We're not going to be Casper the friendly ghost flying with the angels throughout eternity. What kind of body will you have? You will have a resurrection, superhuman body, exactly like Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 3, when He comes back, He'll take these dying bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like His own Bodies that can move at the speed of thought. They can walk through walls. They can be touched, felt. They'll have flesh. They'll have bone. But I believe that they'll be powered not by blood, but by pneuma, by the Holy Spirit of God. And the glorious part is this. You'll still be able to eat. Remember that Jesus was able to eat. You'll be able to eat all you want, all the salt, all the sugar, all the caffeine, and won't have to worry about any ill consequences. Can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. Now you're having a spiritual experience. Yeah. Oh, you just, you just, you just gotta let me tell the story again. This couple was in their eighties, and, and she got on a health food kick, and she, forced him to start eating uh, nothing but veggies and, and fruits and nuts and bran muffins. You too. Yeah. And they lived another 10 years. This couple, and when they hit their 90s, they got in a car crash. God forbid, but rejoicingly, they made it to heaven. And as they walked into heaven, St. Peter was taking the old man on a tour of heaven. And he says, here's your mansion over the hilltop. This is your holy condo. And it was a million square feet, the latest and the greatest. And the old man, being an old German, looked at him and said, how much? St. Pete said, what do you mean? This is heaven. It's free. Then they toured the golf courses. 
I mean the aesthetics, the beauty, the grandeur. Words cannot express, the old man said to Peter. How much? Peter is getting exasperated. It's heaven. It's all free. They went into the country club. Here was an amazing buffet of food. It was the cuisine, the gastronomical delights of paradise were spread out there. And the old man said, there's got to be a price tag somewhere. I mean, uh, nothing in, in life is free. You're not in life anymore. You're in heaven, St. Pete said. It's all free. The old man would start getting ticked off. He looked at his wife and, and he said, You and your crazy brand muffins. I could have been here ten years ago. It's free. My Bible and your Bible says this about heaven. Paul the Apostle said there in Corinthians, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. The rapture will not only usher us into a blessed experience, but you need to understand your bridegroom is a protector. How many hubbies out there are your wife's protector? Our Lord, our spiritual husband, our bridegroom is the protector of protectors. The rapture will be our bridegroom's rescue plan for his bride, the church. Rescue from what pastor? The great tribulation. A seven year period when God will judge a Christ rejected world. It will be literally hell on earth. The Bible says in Revelation 3.10, I also, Jesus said, will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. The great tribulation will be a living hell here on earth. Uniting the world in rebellion against God will be the first world dictator. He's known as the beast, the Antichrist. He'll force everyone to take his mark, which is what? Six, six, six. He'll promise, he'll promise paradise, but he'll become the world's worst nightmare. One quarter of the planet will die by famine, plague, ecological disaster, earthquakes, nuclear holocaust. At present world population figures, that's more than 2 billion people will perish. Yet the most nightmarish aspect of the Great Tribulation will be the absence of the present ministry of the Holy Spirit that we've experienced already this morning. It will fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 6 verse 3. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Where there had been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, now there will be an outpouring of hellish fury. Now there will be a flood tide of demonic evil so horrific it would make Sodom and Gomorrah wince. I remind you my dear Lakeside family the most precious opportunity that we have is experiencing the presence and the power and the person of God the Holy Spirit. 
at the end of the great tribulation, mankind's worst fears will become a horrible reality. Armageddon. Armageddon will be so horrific Jesus said, for then there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Pastor, Pastor Phil, do you really think the great tribulation... And the Antichrist are real. Do you really think that they're coming? Listen, we never, we never thought 9-11 would happen, but it did. We never thought Columbine would happen, but it did. We would have never have imagined a, a mass killer sniper mowing down dozens upon dozens upon scores of people in a country western concert in Las Vegas. It, but it happened. It did. We would have never have imagined in small town Texas a man just a few weeks ago walking into a church service like this. And began to shoot and shoot and kill and kill as more than 20 people perished. And we need to pray for that church. We never would have imagined that would happen. But it did. Critics argue rapture teaching and preaching is nothing but sheer escapism theology. Listen, if the rapture, our bridegroom's rescue plan for his bride, if it is escapism, I wear it like a badge of honor. I say, so be it. I don't know about you. I don't want to be here. Amen. Write it down, the rapture will be an instantaneous event. Paul said, behold, I tell you a mystery. The Greek word here is mysterion. Mysterion. I'm going to reveal a truth to you that's never been revealed before. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. I want you to circle some words here. Circle the word moment in that verse. Circle the word moment in that verse. Circle the phrase twinkling of an eye in that verse. Twinkling of an eye. You see that word moment? In the Greek, it is literally atomos. Atomos. We get our English word what? Adam from the Greek word atomos. In the Greek mind and perspective, it is the smallest indivisible particle of time. In the smallest particle of time, we shall be changed. How quickly? In the twinkling of an eye. The Greek word here is ripe. Ripe. I used to think that ripe, the twinkling of an eye, meant wink or blink. It's not wink or blink. It is twink. A twink, a twink is the amount of time for light traveling at 186,000 miles per second to impact the retina of your eye. What are we saying? 
in less than a nanosecond, you and I shall be changed. Not enough time to say, Jesus, save me from my sin. Not enough time to grab your dad's pant legs as he's going up in the rapture. You could be walking down the sidewalk. You could be walking down the tile hallway of your office. You could be walking on the shag carpeting of your great room. One foot is here on the shag carpet. The next time you put your foot down, you're on streets of gold. That's how quickly, that's how quickly. Here comes the bridegroom. Here comes the bridegroom. Not enough time to say, Jesus, save me. A warning and a blessing. Jesus reveals that five of the bridesmaids were wise. And the other five were what? Foolish. Write that down. Why were the five foolish? Why were they foolish? Not enough education? Huh? Not enough common sense? Why were they foolish? Jesus makes it clear. They didn't bring enough oil. They didn't bring enough oil. And when the bridegroom's coming was delayed, all ten bridesmaids got drowsy and fell asleep. Till they were awakened by the midnight cry, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. But when the foolish five discovered that their lamps were going out, they went to buy more oil. While they were away, the bridegroom came. He took the five wise bridesmaids with him into the marriage feast and the bride into the bridal chamber. And the Bible says the door was locked. Now pick up with Jesus in verse 11. Jesus said later when the other five bridesmaids, the foolish five, returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. I believe that verse 12 is the most somber, horrific words that any Christian any churchgoer could ever hear throughout the whole Bible. Believe me, I don't know you. Notice they called him Lord, Lord. But his response, I don't know you. And so Jesus wraps up the entire parable with the summation of what the whole parable is about. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. What does Jesus mean by keeping watch? Does, does he mean to put on a white robe and sit on the top of your garage waiting for your bridegroom to come back? Is that what he means by watching? No. Write it down. Jesus' focus here is to be ready for His return. To be found faithful instead of foolish. To finish strong. I want you to be reminded that all ten of the bridesmaids began well. 
they all started out well. They all expected the coming of the bridegroom. They were all planning to leave with the wedding party. They were all desirous to be a part of the wedding feast. They were all joyous about the expectation of the marriage supper. All began well. But 50% didn't make it. 50% failed to remain faithful. 50% burned out. 50% missed the bridegroom's coming. And instead of the bridegroom's loving greeting and loving embrace... They hear the most nightmarish words of all time and eternity. I don't know you. I don't know you. How? Why? How can this be? Listen. It's not how you start out. It's not how you start out with God. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. And as I read the parable, 50% of the church didn't finish strong. Since no one knows when Jesus will return, my admonition to you as your loving pastor, and I say all of this in love, be found faithful. Finish your course. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Remain faithful. Be faithful in loving God and in loving one another and loving people. Be faithful in His Word and in worship and praise. Be faithful in the ministry that the Lord has granted you. Be found faithful in sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be found faithful in leaving a legacy of faith for your children and your grandchildren to to follow in. Reject the excuses. And we pastors hear them all the time. Old preacher, uh, Pastor Phil, I've done my time. You know, I, I deserve a break. Uh, you know, we're empty nesters now. When, when we had children coming to Lakeside, it, it was a different story. You know, we were heavily involved, but, you know, we're empty nesters now. You know, it, it's time to retire. That kind of attitude, that kind of faithfulness smacks uh, uh, into the the heart uh, of God. Uh, He resents it. Let me tell you, it will keep you and make you vulnerable in the last lap. Read First and Second Samuel. Read First and Second Kings. Read First and Second Chronicles. There are dozens of dozens of men and women of God who started out well. But in the last chapter of their life, the last lap of the race, they fell short. They didn't finish strong. As my dad used to tell me, there's no fool like an old fool. And there's plenty of them around. Well, pastor, I'm retired. Uh, Listen, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's only refirement. If you're over the hill, you ought to be going faster than ever before. Together, 
My dear Lakeside family, together, let's determine to finish strong. Let's determine to be found on that day of days, uh, to be found faithful. Uh, We must be about our Father's business. We'll finish strong, write it down, if we constantly live with a passion, a passion, a passion for the fresh oil of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Recently, I was driving my wife's vehicle. I just asked her again, I said, what do you want for a new vehicle? I don't want a car. I want an SUV. And I was driving her Jeep Grand Cherokee. And I was driving down country roads. And every time someone passed me, they blinked their lights at me. And I thought, well, I'm north of I-69. And the culture's a little different up here. Maybe that's a greeting. You know, or... Oh, maybe my brights are on. My brights weren't on, and they just kept blinking at me. And I thought, well, maybe there's a cop right around the corner. And I looked and looked, no cop. And I thought, I hope that's not a gang symbol or something blinking uh, at me. Got home and could barely restart the car again. The battery had gotten old. And I had not realized it, Becky hadn't realized it, that through the months and the days and the weeks, the lights had gradually were dimming and almost out. It's frightening. The frightening truth of Matthew chapter 25, the foolish five. They didn't realize that their lamps had gone out until, until the midnight cry, until the bridegroom had come. They didn't realize their lamps had gone out until it was too late. Throughout the Bible, oil represents the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, hear me, hear me, saints. We can't live on the borrowed oil of our parents' faith or our grandparents' faith. We have to have a fresh experience with God. Young person, you need to have a fresh experience with God. You need fresh oil. You can't finish strong in your own resources, in your own strength. Uh, Hear me in this. We can't live on the oil uh, of an old experience, an old anointing. Uh, The frightening truth of the foolish five is they didn't realize their lamps had gone out until it was too late. Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Spirit. That's a continuous action verb in the Greek, meaning that you and I need a continual supply of fresh oil. We need the fresh flow of the Holy Spirit hour by hour, day by day, week by week. We need to continually be thirsty. We need to be continually hungry. We need to be continually passionate for more of God. Be filled with the Spirit, Paul said. If you do, you'll finish strong. And you'll make that old Sunday school chorus your passion and prayer. You remember that old Sunday school chorus? Give me oil in my lamp. 
and keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp and keep me burning. Keep me burning until the break of day. We can't do God's work without God's power. I thank God for new facilities. I thank God for new technology. I thank God for the talents that He's given His church. But hear me in this. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. This morning, pray for a fresh touch. Pray for a fresh move. Pray for a fresh anointing. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. God is more desperate to baptize you with His Spirit than you are to receive. By finishing strong, you'll live your best life now and forever. By finishing strong, you'll learn in this life how to have an attitude of being better than being bitter. Listen, if you woke up this morning and the sun was rising in the east and your two feet hit the floor when you got out of bed and you had air in your lungs and your heart was beating and your name wasn't in the obituary column, then you can declare, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's going to be a great week. Hallelujah. That's what happens when you learn to finish strong. If you'll determine to finish strong, then you'll choose to be a victor and not a victim. That's right. Despite the circumstances, the vicissitudes of life, despite the people who do injustice to you and mistreat you, and despite old Slewfoot himself that would like to haunt you with temptation, trial, and trouble, you can take your stand in God confidence and declare, if God be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me can prosper. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Though the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Greater is he that's within me than he that is in the world. I am more than a conqueror through him that has loved me and nothing can separate me. Absolutely nothing from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a victor and I'm not a victim. Through the shed blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, Christian, you were meant not to be haunted, not to be put upon by old Slewfoot the devil. You were meant to put him in the corner having a Maalox moment. You were meant to put him in the corner calling 9-11. You were meant to put him into the corner crying out for help as you plead the blood of Jesus and move forward in the name of our Lord and Savior, our bride groom who's never lost a battle who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He will never fail you or forsake you. Give him praise and glory here this morning. Amen. By finishing strong, by finishing strong on that day of days your family will come up to you dad. Your family will come up to you mom. Grandpa, grandma. Your family and friends will come up to you and thank you for finishing strong. They'll say, Dad, Mom, you left a legacy of faith for me to follow. You were an example to us. 
I first love you, Dad. I first love you, Mom. And because you love Jesus, I just naturally followed suit. By finishing strong, there's coming a day of days. I said there's coming a day of days when believing eyes will see what unbelieving eyes cannot see. Believing ears will hear what unbelieving ears cannot hear. The eastern skies will unzip and our bridegroom will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up to be with Him forever and evermore. What a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see. I don't know about you, but when I first get to heaven, listen to me in this. The rapture is a reunion experience with the lover of your soul. By finishing strong, you'll experience the consummation of salvation in this reunion. When I get to heaven, when I first get there, I'm not necessarily going to be excited about streets of gold or a mansion just over the hilltop or the songs that the angels are singing. When I get to heaven, yes, I want to see Grandpa and my grandmas that are there. I want to see Becky's father and Becky's mother that are already there. But I'm going to run past them. I'm going to run past Daniel, Esther, Moses, and Paul. And I'll say, let's do lunch. Uh, I'm going to run by my relatives and and say, I can't wait to meet and greet you. But I'm racing to the embrace of the one who loved me best. The one who loved me most. Uh, What a day that will be. When he enfolds his arms around us and he whispers in our ear, if you'll finish strong, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a day that will be when we shall behold him. The sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars shall applaud him with thunder. The sweet light in his eyes shall shall enhance those awaiting and we shall
Hallelujah. Stand with me quietly this morning. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. Breathe upon us. We have already welcomed you into this place. Even now, Holy Spirit of God, knock upon hearts' doors. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed here this morning, are you ready for the day of days? Are you where you should be in your relationship with God? Are you certain that you have a home in heaven? Enough oil in your life? If you're not sure you're right with God and you want to be, if you're not sure you have a home in heaven and you want to be certain of that fact, I'm prepared to pray a prayer, a prayer that will make you right with God and grant you, grant you life forevermore, a home in heaven. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, then just show your faith in Jesus by lifting up your hand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. No one is looking around. Lift up your hand right now if you want to be included in this prayer to make you right with God and give you a home in heaven. Lift it up high so that I can see it. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. Amen. Three men in the balcony this morning. Lift it up high. God bless you. I see that hand up on the balcony. Four hands. God bless. Number five. God bless you. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Lift it up high for Jesus this morning. God bless you, sir. I see that hand. God bless you. Number six. Amen. How many more this morning? Lift it up high. This is your faith in the lover of your soul. Pray with me. Everyone pray with me, especially you that have lifted up your hands. Make this prayer your prayer. Pray it out loud with me. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now and I confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you're my Savior. I need you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Jesus, Thank you for hearing me, for cleansing me, for changing me. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. I receive this as I believe it. Amen. Let's give God the praise and the glory this morning.